I've heard the words this week. It was like rivers of blood I met as the security forces and the ambulances arrived at the mosque in Christchurch. Or in County Tyrone, there are valleys of tears as three teenagers alive and excited about St. Patrick's Day when we met here last Sunday and then didn't come home. Cities underwater in southern Africa. And as I keep going back to Brexit, whether you're a Brexiteer or a Remainer, the incompetence, the reckless unaccountability, and the immaturity of our politicians is hard to believe and frightening to live under. It's hard to find the words. Why? How did that happen? What went on outside that hotel? And where is God in all of it? Oh my, it's a theological tangle. And I've come, as you know, over these last couple or three years to love the lectionary because in the soundness of doctrine that I grew up in, that wasn't how you did it. But this week, I really could hardly believe it when I read Luke 13, not 9. Let me give you Eugene Peterson's paraphrase and pick out those two incredibly similar scenarios to what we've experienced in our news. About that time, some people come up and told him about the Galileans that Pilate had killed while they were at worship. Mixing their blood and the blood of the sacrifices on the altar. Jesus responded, do you think those murdered Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans? Not at all. Unless you turn to God, you too will die. And those 18 in Jerusalem the other day, the ones crushed and killed when the Tower of Siloam collapsed and fell on them. Do you think they were worse citizens than all the Jerusalemites? It's hard to take in that those were the verses that the lectionary on its three-year cycle come up with for this week. I had never considered before this week the Galileans that Pilate had murdered. I didn't even know about, I'd read it, but I hadn't stopped to think about a tar that fell crushing people. But in the light of this week's news, we can be sure of one thing, that Jesus lived through the news headlines that we're living through and responded to them. Almost exactly what we lived through and responded to them. Now there's theological debate. And in the theological debate, 
which I don't imagine is going on. It was interesting yesterday in Birmingham. Um, we flew from Dublin. We couldn't understand why we couldn't get a flight back from Birmingham to Belfast. Surely there's a flight back from Birmingham to Belfast on a Saturday night, eh? No, there isn't. And then we discovered when our plane left half an hour before it was supposed to leave that they were closing the runway in Birmingham at nine o'clock. Hence the Sunday that we are the Saturday night that we decide to go to Birmingham. There's no flights back to Belfast. So we did this Dublin thing. And whether it was in a cafe in Birmingham or waiting to get on the flight or the people behind me on the flights, everybody's talking Brexit. Whether they were from Waterford as some of, they, some of them were or whether they were from Birmingham, as some of them were. Everybody's debating the issues of the day, and I'm sure we've debated and how many people have said, how many kids were in that area, and what was the exact area they were in, and was there no planning to that, and who was on the bus, and did they buy tickets for the bus, and did they buy a ticket to get into the place before the buses? Or I thought New Zealand was actually much more open than that. There's been discussion, and of course theological debate comes in, and there was theological... I imagine none of us were saying this week that Lauren or Connor or Morgan were the ones who'd sinned more than the rest of the ones in the queue, and that's why they died. But that was the discussion that was going on around Jesus. That was the theological discussion in his moment. I'm sure there were other theological discussions that are happening as we speak and will continue to happen around what is happening around us. And Jesus doesn't give any answers to the Rubik's Cube of the thinking around those two horrific events. He moves on quickly, as I'm going to do in a moment, but of course I couldn't move on as quickly as Jesus because I'm from Balamina and have a lot to say. My only way to deal with Christchurch or Cookstown or Southern Africa or Carlingford or wherever is something that Lionel Shriver, the novelist, said after Virginia Tech a number of years ago, being interviewed the next day. Now, she's written a book about one of those murderers who goes into a school and shoots around people. Um, and she was brought in to talk about it, as she often is. And, um, and she talked that morning about something I'd never heard before, but something which resonates, and I haven't unpacked it theologically too detailed, but it resonates with me. She talked about us having to understand that in our world there's the sovereignty of evil. Sovereignty of evil. Now, when I was in Union College, if you started your prayer, Sovereign God, you were as sound as a pound. Sovereign was, it was actually the bingo tick that made you one of the guys. Not the ladies, you understand, because we didn't want to be one of them because they were on the outside. Forgive us. But sovereign, there was a good word. And of course it was sovereign God. And of course it meant that God was beyond us. It meant that God was beyond how we think, that God was beyond our reasoning. But actually, most of us who said sovereign God at the time thought we had God pretty much sussed to think like we thought about him. But what it was was this idea of giving God his awe that he was outside of us, beyond our control. And so when Lionel Shriver used the word sovereignty of evil, it wasn't that evil is alongside God or that the devil is somehow greater than God or that the demons run around and we're on the losing side. I'm not going into the battles of all of that. It's clear I'm at the front here. I've read Revelation and I know who wins. But it seems to me there's something about the phrase that might give us some insight. That evil's actually outside of our control too. 
And when we ask the questions like our family did when it was my uncle that fell at work and then had brain damage and died a while later, why Bobby? That actually there's just a sovereignty of brokenness and badness and evil that we will never understand. Because as David Gray, the singer, puts it, we're trying to spell what the wind can't explain. Or as Paul put it, we are looking through a glass darkly. We're not going to find theological answers. But Jesus doesn't look for the theological answers. He's not that interested in debating these things. He's interested in who we are and what these events might do to us. He calls in the midst of this for repentance. Now not with a board, as you could imagine, some might do outside the next five nightclub nights in Cookstown to tell the young people uh, that they're doomed because they're going into somewhere and that they shouldn't be going in there underage, even though they shouldn't be going in underage, and all that kind of stuff. No, this is, this is a positive sense of repentance. Now, judgment's in there, and we've got to see it. But what Jesus seems to suggest should happen to us in the light of Ga- the Galileans' massacre and the crushing at the Tower of Siloam, or Christchurch, or Cookstown, or Southern Africa, or Carlingford, what he's saying to is that these things should waken us up to the fragility of the lives that we have. They should waken us up to the limited span of mortality that we live. They should waken us up, he says, to the judgment of God on what has been given to us, the gifts and the abilities, the gospel and the theology that we've been taught, the Jesus that has come and redeemed us, the Jesus that has been the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world so that we could be heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. What are we doing with that? These events should waken us up and ask ourselves, What are we doing with our lives? A baby crashed in. The veil was ripped in two to break a new kingdom and God's new realm. One of the commentators that I read this week was reading it all in an apocalyptic kind of time when this was a moment when the old was definitely going out and the new was definitely coming. You could see that among the the Jews. Suddenly the Pharisees were being... um, being taken on by this new teaching of this new rabbi who came in to be the fulcrum of how the old world and the new world would shift in his 33 years on earth. We get it, do we not, in Second Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone. The new is here. This moment of apocalyptic, the old is destroyed and a new thing's coming in. Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is repentance. This is an apocalyptic shift in how we see the world. This is a paradigm shift on the perspective we have on how we live our lives. Repentance is not giving up swearing, smoking, or drinking, though excessive amounts of all of that might not be good for us. Neither is it that we come to church or go to the midweek prayer meeting 
which is pretty good for us here in Fitzroy. No, this is far, far, far more encompassing, all-encompassing than that. We shift in how we see the world. And Jesus, when these events happen, says to us, give yourself a spiritual checkup. Now remember, the lectionary has us in the middle of Lent. So we're in Lent, and this is a time before Easter for us to ponder our lives and to think deeply about our lives. These events have happened, and so the lectionary uh, guys have put this right into the core of where we are now to say, this is time for a spiritual checkup. Christchurch and Cookstown and Southern Africa, they should give us an opportunity to say, whoa, what is going on in our world and what is going on with me? You know this checkup I gave myself this week? Um, it was, where did I put Mozambique in the list of the catastrophes? What was my gasp at Christchurch? My gasp at Cookstown and my gasp at another natural disaster. Were the people of Mozambique down the headlines, even though there was thousands of them affected? It's a time for us to ask ourselves, where is the kingdom in our living? What is the fruit of Jesus breaking in on his birth, breaking in on Good Friday, breaking out of the tomb and breaking the clouds on his ascension. Where is the fruit of the seeds of that in my life right now? Because this is a time that's as urgent as any other time because of those things going on around us. And you know, I can't help thinking that Jesus was also saying, much as he was saying, avoid the judgment and make sure you take this as an awakening, that actually repentance in the old life disappearing and the new life coming in would actually maybe make an impression on the events of the world around us. Maybe if we repented and had a new paradigm and a new perspective and lived that compassion in our world, we would change the world that people wouldn't go into mosques and kill people worshipping in other religions. Maybe, maybe we wouldn't have eco-environmental disasters all around the world because we would be more careful about how we recycle here in Fitzroy. Maybe repentance would not only bring some sense of urgency into our lives, but that urgency would change the consequences that are going on in the world around us. We've been upstairs on Sunday nights. If you're a visitor with us, we've been going through the books of the, the covenant books of the Old Testament. What is Genesis about? We spent a night in that. What's Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy? What numbers? What are all these books about? And it's been interesting. It's been interesting. Fascinating. We've learned a lot about how we read the text and the context and all that kind of stuff. And I remember one of the nights and it was almost God saying to us, now if you don't do that, I'm going to give you a good smack. I was uneasy about that. And I had this moment, and maybe I've shared it with you, and I don't mind sharing it again, because I need to hear it again and again and again. If I share it with you, I have to hear it, obviously. Um, that when I was teaching the girls how to cross the road, and I actually could do the gospel according to Green Cross Code. I might do it sometime. But there's a lot of lessons you can learn teaching your children the Green Cross Code. And one of them was, 
that if I teach the girls to do the Green Cross Code so that they can safely get across the Lisburn Road, what I could say to them is, now if I see you running across that road without looking both ways, I'm going to give you a good smack. Or I could say to them, if you run across that road without looking both ways, and articulate it, Laurie's going to give you a good smack. So the consequences are not that I'm going to be angry with them and give them a smack. Any more than God's telling us this stuff so that somehow he would get a kick out of giving us a good smack and we don't do it right. What God's telling us from Genesis through to Revelation is you botched it up and if you would live this way, you might not get hit with an articulated truck every time you cross the road, not using the green cross code. And these events in our news should be those things that tell us that that is repentance. New paradigm. New way to look at the world. New way to live in the world. And I want to say to Natalie how proud I was as the minister of Natalie and the other people who do Home Plus that she was in that situation with that woman able to tell them that her church loved them. Repentance. Because you know the old way? You watch Dancing with Ice. The new way is you minister into people living in ice. The fruit of Jesus coming. The call to live these things urgently. Urgently. Just to finish. If God arrives in now, do this as homework. Find a space later on. If God's looking at your tree right now, what's the fruit? And here's a quirk. If the devil with his horns and tail, that's how he looks, is looking at your tree. The events around us should awaken us to the fragility of who we are, to the length and limited time we have, and to the incredible gift that we have that Jesus has redeemed us for something new and world changing I want to live that but I need to repent to be able to do it in its fullness let's pray our God help us not to be familiar with our faith going through motions nice clean Christian motions but not life-changing, world-changing, repentant motions. And may the brokenness of the world around us awaken us to the something more that is available to us by your grace. And may the something more we receive in your grace not be used for our own self-righteousness, but used to feed a hungry, cold, broken, grieving world. Help us to see our part, Lord. Give us the energy and the courage to do it in your name. Amen.